0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Happy New Year. Hope you guys had a great New Year. I know the weather has been uh, a little obscure for us here in Kona, uh, so hopefully you don't have any trees fall down at your house or in your roads or anything. You made it here this morning, so that's great. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and and get them out. We're going to be going into the book of James this morning. If it's your first time here at Shorebreak, my name's Toby. I'm one of the pastors here at Shorebreak. And uh, thank you for coming out and spending your Sunday with us. We appreciate, we know that it is a beautiful day out there as well. Uh, Hopefully you'll go enjoy it afterwards, but uh, we appreciate you coming to spend some time in God's Word this morning. Our teaching pastor, Travis, uh, blessed us last week with an amazing sermon on the glory of God, and hopefully you had a chance uh, to be here for that and be blessed by that as well. All of our sermons are online uh, on our website. that uh, You can go back and check out. Uh, so definitely recommend going back to listening to that sermon. Uh, he'll be back next week as we're going to be launching our next series, which will be in the book of Philippians. And so look forward to that starting up next week. As you also heard from Leo, the other area that we want to focus our attention in aside from coming to our Sunday gatherings, is our community groups. And uh, it's really a a blessed time to meet with other people who are in the church and highly encourage you to sign up and and get involved with us that way. Uh, It's really a great way to get to know the rest of the body here, other believers, and be encouraged and to pray for one another. And uh, I think we're having about twice as many groups this session, so uh, hopefully there'll be one that lines up for you. Only other, other plug for us this morning that I want to uh, encourage you in is that if you are uh, a frequent Shorebreak uh, member here and you come on a weekly basis, that uh, you really question your involvement here, that we have plenty of areas of ministry here that we want to reach Kona with, and by bringing people in, we have uh, the host team ministry, we have the production team, our cakey ministry, our coffee lounge, there's plenty of opportunities for you to volunteer uh, on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, whatever you're available for, I want to encourage you, we want you to be involved with the church here, Um, the church is Christ's bride, and we encourage you to do that. So, Back to uh, Book of James. If you were here with us a few months ago, I started the process of going kind of verse by verse through the Book of James. And James is uh, a really, uh, an awesome book. It it really is. It gives us a perspective of what the brother of Jesus uh, saw, as well as would encourage us today in. And James was there. He was the brother he grew up with him. Uh, He grew up with the sinless Savior that we have, and uh, what an experience. Um, James was one of the books of the Bible. It was actually the first book written after the ascension of Christ, so historically, it's as close as we can get to what happened with Jesus, and who else but James and his family to tell us what Jesus was really like, who he really was, and how his upbringing of becoming a man and going through his ministry, and then sacrificing, and going to the cross for us. And to be that family, to be that brother, to see him die on the cross for us. And then the celebration of his resurrection. What an experience James has to show us. And so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to take off from uh, the end of where we stopped last time a few months ago. We got through the first eight verses, which were loaded with truth and encouragement for us all. And we went through the process of looking at joy, and trials, and how God has given us these trials so that we, ba- that we can develop in our relationship with him and grow and become mature, and that no matter how old we get, that we still need to ask God for wisdom on a regular basis, and that we need to understand that we need to commit to a life of understanding Christ and his suffering for us so that we can grow in our walk with him, and, that his, and know that his sacrifice was above all, more than we could ever do for ourselves. So let's go to James, if you could stand for the reading of the word. James chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 and 16 through 18. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Down to verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow Due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Father in heaven, what a blessing and honor that it is today to be here with my brothers and sisters in Christ and those who might not know You yet. To study Your Word and to seek Your truth through the book of James. Thank you for a new year that signifies for a lot of us a new start and a new beginning. And I pray today that we will recognize that our first and foremost concern is in our relationship with you, that you will use my words to open our hearts to what you want us to hear this morning, and that we will walk away this morning with a better understanding of our relationship with you and our true identity in you. We love you, Lord, and in your holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, how many of us have ever asked the question, does God want me to be wealthy? Hopefully, well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, But knowing how many people out there live and breathe greed, money, wealth, and power, almost seems like a no-brainer, a rhetorical question for us who are believers. Of course God doesn't want us to be focused on materialism, because that's what becomes our God. And most of us are familiar with the verse in Matthew 6.24, which says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I think a lot of us understand that concept. It's pretty prevalent here in society. But deep down, I don't think we'd mind if God blessed us with a little wealth, right? Now, James also recognizes this issue not only in his own church, but realizes that we are going to deal with this today. He realizes it so much that when we take a look at the book of James and the chapter of James, last time we had kind of an overview of joy And trials. And this is the first of the trials that he's lining up with to tell us about. And so it's got some significant importance. But let's take a step back as well and understand where James is coming from. Did James grow up in a very wealthy environment? Did he grow up with a family that was well off, that was surrounded by servants, and had every luxury that the world could offer? Obviously, being the brother of Christ, no. And despite all the commercialism of Christmas, I hope that at least most understand that Jesus was not brought into this world and raised in a wealthy environment. He grew up in Nazareth, of all places, which was not the hub of anywhere. His dad was a carpenter. So all this to say that James and Jesus and their siblings, they were brought up in what would be considered poor conditions. They definitely didn't have the plush life and lifestyle of King Solomon as we saw when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes. But they also didn't go through quite the famine that we saw when we went through the book of Ruth. But Jesus and his little brother James did grow up in what would be considered poor conditions. And some of us might infer that we should also live in poor conditions so that we would inherit the kingdom of God and doesn't Jesus tell us in Matthew that same thing? Matthew nineteen twenty three through 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's a good thing we're not saved by our works or we'd have our work cut out for us, if that were the case. If we look at it from this standpoint in our lives, we live in Hawaii, most expensive state, highest cost of living in one of the richest countries of the world. And Jesus tells us that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But is Jesus really putting us in that category? For those of us who live in Hawaii or the United States Or are we just not asking the right question? Are we looking at wealth from our perspective or God's perspective? Are we using the culture around us to tell us what is considered wealthy? Or are we looking to the Bible to make that determination? Well, the problem is we shouldn't be looking at wealth from just an economic standpoint. There's a huge piece that is missing when we talk about our finances or wealth in general. The piece missing is our identity. It's the spiritual aspect. It's whether or not we're godly. It's our attitude. It's our perception of what godliness means to us. Our finances or wealth, just as so many other aspects of our lives, need to be seen from a spiritual point of view and not the worldly one that society places on us. So this morning, James is going to give us his view on wealth and how this relates to the identity that Christ has given us as believers. And we know that Jesus and his brother James were considered in that poor category, but a godly poor category. Most of his disciples and his followers were poor because they left all that they had had and all that they owned to follow Christ. And they put their full trust in him to provide for them what they would need. We also see other people in the Bible who were rich but were godly rich. Now Jesus wasn't rich while he was here on earth but we have other examples. Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, Abraham, Job, Joseph of Arimathea. Then there are the leaders who had the wealth and the power but were not godly. Pharaoh, Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, And finally, those who weren't godly and were not wealthy. We hear about these people in Proverbs. They didn't earn any money. They didn't work. And if they achieved any money or got any money, they would spend it frivolously. So we can see that there are other ways of looking at our finances aside from the question of whether or not we are wealthy. But to take it even a step further we see that many other people in the Bible went through times of trials when they were wealthy and then when they weren't wealthy. And it didn't have anything to do with their identity, but it was a trial that God was testing them with. And even Jesus was rich. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Paul tells us, Jesus was rich and became poor, so that we could become rich, and that this had nothing to do with wealth. He did not maintain his heavenly status when he came down. He was one who couldn't pay his taxes. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He couldn't purchase his own tomb. But regardless, heaven or earth, Jesus is God, acted God, and was God in all that he did. Jesus wants you to be like him regardless of earthly wealth or poverty because your identity isn't in your wallet. It's in your relationship and love for him And our Father in heaven. Getting back to James, verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He's talking to us as believers, as Christians, as followers of the one true Lord and Savior. We are lowly, we are not rich. If you are following Jesus, you're not focused on being rich. You're not focused on being affluent. You're not focused on gaining power. Some religions might try to convince you that the more that you trust in their faith or the more that you pray or the more money that you give, the closer you will be to having more privileges or or obtaining a higher status and that God looks favorably upon that. If you're not making more money or working your way up in their system, you just might not be doing something right. But if that is not the case, as a believer, and we don't need to obtain a higher level of wealth to reap the benefits of being religious, then what is it that James is telling us here? We are all lowly to some degree in our identity. This might just be defined as average. You don't make a lot of money, but maybe you're not poor. You're not the smartest tool in the shed, but you can do fifth grade math. You're not the best looking guy or girl, but hey, you work out every once in a while. The reality is that our world and culture are not meant for us as Christians to be regarded highly in this society. We are lowly because of our belief and reliance on Jesus Christ. Society sees that as weak, and you can't fend for yourself. You need someone or something else that's going to help you get through life? It comes back to our perception of what an identity in Christ is all about. Do we care more about the bottom line of our financial status, or are we more concerned about our heavenly status? There's a huge difference. That's what James wants us to focus on in this passage. Just because we make more doesn't equate to being more valuable. Only from an economic standpoint in this world but definitely not from any other. Just look at Jesus. No one more valuable than him. And while he was on this earth, he was poor. How many of us today are starting off the new year and not necessarily looking forward to it? We've just come off of Christmas with a great time with family, opening presents, getting gifts, finishing off the new year, but then realizing we're back to work. We're not feeling like there is much to look forward to in these next few months. Your football team isn't in the playoffs. You aren't a Ducks or Bucks fan. You're feeling like an average Joe. Well, what's James telling you to do then? Boast. Are you kidding me, boast? What is there to boast about when we're feeling this way? What sports team celebrates that they didn't make it to the playoffs? We do, as believers. We are to boast in your, in our, in his exaltation. Understand that God sees us from the heavens, and that he's going to be bringing you, us, up there to be with him. We're going to continue to commit to following Jesus, that just as Jesus was exalted up into heaven, so will we be exalted into heaven as well. He sees us for what we are when, we, when he is done with us. He knows where we are in life right now. He knows the work he has done in you. And this is the identity that he has given you, not the identity that we often give ourselves. Now, when we talk about boasting, it has nothing to do about boasting about ourselves. It's boasting about the Lord, because it's all about him and not about us. It's a big difference in looking at things from the standpoint of taking credit and bragging about what is happening in your life. It's to take that statement and turn it around to give credit to the one who deserves it and to boast in him in our Lord and Savior. So many of us look to our culture around us to give us some direction on our identity. But it's not the identity that you have in society that matters. It's the identity that Christ has given you in him. And how much he loves you. And cares for you. And values you because you are his. Our society and culture may give us the impression that we are lowly. And we cannot afford everything that this life has to offer. But thankfully, we don't have to buy eternal life. And that's because Jesus paid for it. Our salvation is not dependent upon what our society or culture around us thinks is considered valuable. We don't have to know anyone who's rich or powerful in this life. The only one who's rich and powerful is the Lord Jesus And you may be poor and lonely by society standards today. Sorry, lowly by society standards today. But Jesus has given you an inheritance far greater than all the riches and power that this world can offer. Jesus is the one and only treasure that matters. James is noticing this theme in his people as a pastor and recognizing that they are being misled into believing that their monetary worth is equivalent to their self-worth. He's telling them to boast and not be misled in this way so that we can see ourselves as God sees us. And when we are feeling lowly, when we are feeling sad, depressed, or discouraged, or isolated in this world, and we wonder, why am I going through a trial right now? Financially? Why am I in that category of godly and, and poor? Our emotions can take over and we, st- we start to compare our lives to others. We start to talk about what's fair and what's not fair. We get confused as to why people prosper in this world and use it to dishonor God. I think we've all been there and compared ourselves at some point in time to someone else and told ourselves, well, I wish I were better looking or taller, smarter, more successful, more popular. I think however we would complete that sentence is exactly how you feel lowly in the eyes of others in the world around you. You're looking at yourself from the perspective of people who also struggle with these similar issues. And not those who are focused on what God thinks. Those of you who might have children might be reminded of this if your child has ever been bullied or made fun of. They might not just be thinking or wishing that they were what society idealizes, but they may be getting told this by others around them. And if it doesn't happen to them as a child, then for sure by the time they're into adulthood, it's bound to happen. And as parents recognizing that we are in a fallen world and that we need to encourage our children to be seen as God sees them. That they are only in a temporary state of life and that God sees us as to who we are becoming. And that he sees us as mature, intelligent, beautiful, wise, wonderful, valuable people. And although it's difficult at times to, to see, especially in the midst of trial, he never loses his perspective of us. And this is where our true identity comes from. It's our identity as God sees us, our identity that he has given us. It is not one that has been achieved. It has nothing to do with anyone else's perception of us. James tells us we are not lowly, we are exalted. We're not worthless, we're priceless. We're not unimportant, we are important. We're not hated, we are loved. Regardless of how you're feeling today, regardless of your financial situation or your outlook on life or the new year, We we might not be great in our own eyes, but our Father in heaven tells us differently. He tells us that we are great because he is great. And know that his plan is to make you great. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to be encouraged. He also wants us to recognize that in this, these are not just lies to help us to have hope. These are promises, promises that he will keep. For instance, I know I'm short. I've been short all my life. Basketball was never an option for me as a kid. Still isn't. My wife's taller than me, and yes, my oldest son is probably going to be taller than me when he's 12. (laughs) But who's to say that being short is not desirable? Who coined the term tall, dark, and handsome anyway? (laughs) Let's go to the Bible in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Talking about Eliab. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's the underlying issue here? We're using society's standards to determine what is desirable, what's not desirable. Do I think that God's going to grow me taller as I get older because society thinks that it's better to be taller? I don't think so. God's process of sanctification is not sociification. That's not in the dictionary, by the way. We still need to be honest with ourselves in where we are at in our walk with the Lord. But it's when we lose hope and get discouraged that the Lord wants us to make sure that we're identifying with the things that he wants us to identify with. And for him, that is to have hope in who we become when God is finished with us, after the work of Jesus is completed and we are with him together forever in heaven above. Boast in knowing that you belong to the Lord and Savior, that he has reserved a place for you, and it's in a seat in his kingdom forever. God knows us in and out. He knows how to help us. He knows how to guide us, encourage us, grow us, and how to love us. He's going to call us to be with him, and then we will be perfect with him. Just as we talked about last week in Isaiah 6, God is seated at his throne in all of his glory. And we will be the ones like Isaiah who get to see our Father high and lifted, high and lifted up, and worship and adore him. And be filled with awe as we say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And for now, until then, we need to see who God is transforming us into and realize that it's not about how others see us. Boast in your exaltation and continue to boast, because until we go to be with him, we can always expect that there is somebody who's going to criticize, somebody who's going to be discouraging, and regardless of whether or not it's true at the time, the Lord is going to continue to work on you and make you into what he wants. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, Verse 10, And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Does anyone else see this? as a bit out of the ordinary for James and how he has been writing so far. We've been through the first nine or ten verses of James, and he's been pretty direct, and now he's throwing in their verses about flowers and grass and sun and beauty. What happened, James? I thought you were the straight shooter one. Sounding a little bit like David, right? Well, he's actually sounding more like Isaiah. If we go to chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. James is referring back to the Old Testament. He's applying it to the temporary nature of wealth, and that it, too, will perish. Whether we like it or not, so many of us identify ourselves by our materialism and our wealth in one way or another. And I'm just as guilty as the next. We look at ourselves, our technology, what we drive. I think the latest is our technology we become so dependent upon our technology these days, using our phones, our smartphones, our computers. It seems to be distancing us from others around us while trying to connect us to other people through technology. And we do try to justify these things. We've got a phone and a computer, it becomes a smartphone, it's a cool thing. Problem is, we spend more time on them now. 90 minutes a day is the average amount of time a person spends on their smartphones. And as technology continues to improve, I think we can anticipate that increasing. Well, what's our response? Well, I've got my Bible app on there, uh, devotions, my podcasts. Come on, you spend 90 minutes a day doing that? Probably not. How about what we drive? A range of vehicles out there from scooters to SUVs. Definitely relating to our identity and our wealth status. Now, Up until we had our number three child, uh, Jenny and I were anti-minivan people. <laughs> we never thought we would ever own a minivan. We never wanted to be seen in a minivan. <laughs> it wasn't our style. <clears throat> we came to the islands uh, in our Pontiac Grand Am, and I know you're thinking, well, that's really not much better than a minivan. <laughs> But uh, we, uh, we initially carpooled and uh, were blessed with um, getting a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee passed down to us, which qualified as an SUV. Uh, we had it shift, shipped over to the mainland, and, and uh, it worked for us until a magical number three. And for those of you who have children, uh, that number three child really is a significant one because now you're outnumbered. Uh, there's, there's no more man-on-man. And uh, it's, it's no longer fun to cram into the, the five-seat car uh, with uh, a family of five, nor the five-seat SUV, because there's nowhere to put your stuff. Um, and even to the day that we went to the car lot to look for the next family vehicle, we were hopeful that we could find that SUV that would be in our price range, that could fit us all in and still maintain our anti-minivan hopes and dreams. But unfortunately, and not surprisingly, there wasn't anything in our price range that allowed us to purchase a large enough SUV at the time. So as most sales people do, they bring you to the back area where the minivans are. (laughs) And to the cars that we could afford. And of course, they happened to have that minivan with low miles and the price we needed it to be. Now I don't know who marketed the minivan but it definitely wasn't for us guys out there. There are no V8 supercharged, lifted, 4x4, Hemi, heavy duty or manly minivan options that I know of. <laughs> and that was definitely the case for this minivan as well. Needless to say it was a humbling experience to accept God's will of owning a minivan and to my disappointment the ones we have had have been convenient and ideal for a family of greater than five. I won't vouch for them from a mechanical standpoint, but especially if you know the problems I've had with them, but uh, we've definitely seen God's blessing tenfold from their use in our lives and those around us. Um, and even though we are eventually able to buy an SUV, uh, guess who currently gets to use the minivan to drive to work? <laughs> yes, that's me in the white minivan. <laughs> But you know what? After going through the book of James, I've realized the more time I spent driving in the minivan here on earth, the more time I'll get to spend driving that convertible on the other side of the pearly gates. So I'm okay with it for now. But anyway, aside from our technology, our stuff, our cars, aren't our looks and our parents regarded by God in the same way? Most of us probably spent a couple of minutes putting on clothes to come to church this morning. Others may have spent hours Uh, Myself, I did take a shower, comb my hair, put on some deodorant, but I didn't shave. (laughs) Some may be thinking, well, beards are coming back. You're looking at the culture. Speak to yourself. Uh, You're going for the more trendy look, right? Uh, Well, what about a more scriptural, biblical look? Come on. (laughs) Well, if we look to Charles Spurgeon, he wrote a book to his students. And he said, grow your beards. A habit most natural, scriptural, manly, and beneficial. (laughs) If that doesn't sum it up, I don't know what does. But Spurgeon, scriptural, really? Yes, Old Testament, look it up, Leviticus. Laws that were specific to men and wearing of beards. The Israelite men could not alter the outline of an existing beard. They could not cut off their beard and they could not trim the length of their beard. I rest my case. (laughs) But all these things, they're really to make us feel better about ourselves from a cultural standpoint. We want to be like the cool kids. We don't want to be considered lowly culturally. We want to know how to fix it so we can create an identity that the culture around us sees as, as acceptable the concept of attaining more resources so that we reestablish ourselves and not feel so lowly, that we would feel exalted, and that we wouldn't be the one on the outskirts, but rather the center of attention, and that that would be better for us. This is where James is going with this. If you're feeling lowly, realize that God is going to exalt you. And he currently, right now, sees you as that completed work that he has done in you. If you're exalting yourself with pride and selfishness, and he's telling you that your boasting will only lead to humiliation. Some people are like a flower. They're amazing. You don't know how they do all the wonderful things that they do. They are special. But guess what? The heat does come on, the wind hits, it scorches and burns, and then it's gone. Even that special flower of a person. Question is, did that person, did they live with the end in mind? Because even that special flower, whether or not they're special for what they do in church or perceived of as what they do in society, they're going to expire. They have an end date. And it's true that everybody dies. All that we do, all that we have, all that we are will come to an end. And we will stand before God. Flower or not, we come to an eternal judgment. Working in a nursing home... I take care of a lot of expiring flowers. A lot of them have been through the heat, the wind, scorched, burned, and they are awaiting that end date. But for them, they have a completely different perspective that I find very humbling. They are past the stage of desiring the latest technology, keeping themselves looking young or attractive, driving the latest or greatest car. Although some do have some pretty killer beards, so I have to give them that but we know that's biblical now, right? These individuals have started to lose or have already lost their ability to walk, their ability to care for themselves, their ability to feed themselves, or even their ability to think for themselves. puts our perspective of lowly and poor to a whole other category and what really is considered wealth. Sad thing that is possibly for some of you and those who are in the world and of the world, the things that you have, the things that you've acquired, be the closest thing to heaven that you'll ever see because there's a hell. But the other side is true as well. For hopefully all of you. This is the closest to hell that you'll ever be. And that's because heaven awaits you. Really? This is the closest to hell that we'll ever be? Yes. Yes. Believe it. Your time on earth is the worst that it's going to be for you. That's great news. Makes that mini-man not seem so bad now, does it? Back to James. Skip down to verse 16, mainly because James goes into talking about temptation, and that's a whole sermon in itself. When I come back in a year or two, we'll catch up with that one. But uh, verse 16 goes into talking about both wealth and temptation. And so he's giving us the same advice. And he's giving us a little bit more guidance on what it means to have our identity in God. He starts out with, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Beloved brother, your identity in God is that you are loved by him. You are not loved by your looks. You're not loved by your clothes. You're not loved by your technology. You're not loved by your vehicle. God is the one that loves you. God is the one that adores you. God is the one that knows you. He's the only one that will stay committed to you, no matter how lowly you may feel. He says, do not be deceived. Why? All these things are going to try to deceive you by fulfilling a temporary void that you think cannot be filled otherwise. And regardless of your identity in God, you will always be susceptible to deception. Even you can fall to a place where you believe things that are not true. Even you can receive an identity that's not from the Lord. Regardless how much we desire not to be deceived, there's no guarantees. The only way to help limit our deception in this fallen world is to seek to understand the word of truth. And just as James referenced the flowery poetry to Isaiah 40, we must stand on the word of truth. Our filter for understanding, the foundation of our faith, the building block of our sanctification, the word of God. To be sure that we are able to avoid the deception of this world, we need to know the truth. We need to know the word of truth. So every opportunity we get, reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, discussing the Bible, getting into God's word, so that the enemy, so that when the enemy comes, and deception lies in front of your face, you're able to see it for what it is. Because Jesus says in John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Verse 17. He tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Whatever you have, whatever he has blessed you with, abundantly or not abundantly, it comes from him. God gives us good gifts. And not, it's not based on our finances. Good things don't come from the bottom up, they come from above. Verse 17 coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Encouragement, that although our lives are going to change, he will never change. He has decided to love us. He's decided to save us. He's decided to serve us. He doesn't give up on us. He is always in pursuit of us, investing in us and carrying us. And that will not change. Despite how much this world is changing around us, no matter how bad we feel about our situation, God's love for his people will never change. God has given each of us so much, will continue to give us good gifts as he sees fit for us. And we need to spend so much more time in thinking about what we have been given instead of what we wish we had already been given. We need to let go of thinking that what God has given us is what we have earned. The gifts that he has given us and continue to give us are only because of his grace. And just as our Father in heaven has been gracious to us in this way, we have, as believers, as fathers, as mothers, brothers, sisters, daughters, sons, need to be generous in our ability to have grace for those around us and give good gifts as well. There's a story about a father who's having a conversation with his son about his homework. The son said, Dad, if I finish my homework, can I have a candy bar? And the father said, Son, go ahead and eat the candy bar before you do your homework. And just as kids will do in their amazing ability to negotiate, his son says, Well, what if I don't do my homework? And the father says, Son, go ahead and eat the candy bar. Because if I tell you what I want and that I love you, I would hope in your heart that you would do the right thing and finish your homework. It is not to earn my love that you would do the right thing, but as a result of the love that I have freely given to you. And isn't that true about God? About Jesus? That his love is unconditional. That his love is not based on your obedience to him. God loves us first. It is a gift that comes down from heaven to you and he is so gracious that he gives it generously. And he states in verse 18, of his own will, brought us forth by the word of truth. He loves to give you good gifts and look at all that he has given you so far. Salvation, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, the word of truth. And he has given them to us because of his love for us. Is that not enough to be joyful about and boast in exaltation for? And not only is God's love for us enough, but he gives us a church. He gives us a body of believers to share this with. As we finish up with verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's people are his first fruits. Jesus was given to us as his first fruit, and now we are seen by our Heavenly Father as his first fruit. We are seen as his first and his best, and his love, his first love, and he sees us as a gift. This is not an easy one to grasp because I think for most of us, feel like we have to be in a good place to have a relationship with God. We are lowly. We don't have anything to offer. But God's not like that. He is a father who takes in children like you and loves them, gives them good gifts, helps them, changes them, serves them, and eventually exalts them to be with him forever. And there's nothing in this world that can guarantee that for you except for God. He has surrounded you with people as a gift. He's given you a church that wants to be there for you, pray for you, support you, love you, for who you are and who God is transforming you into. Through the redemption of our sin, Jesus Christ came to pay the price for our salvation. God gave us his only son so that we could have an identity in him and spend our lives With him in eternity. It's an amazing truth that sets us free, sets us free from being concerned about our identity in this world, and it allows us to boast in gratitude for what he did on the cross. Jesus, you are our one true identity. Father God, You have done a great work in us and through us. And we thank you for giving us your son. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. He has given us an identity in you. An identity that is not dependent upon wealth or material things. That is not dependent upon what we do on a daily basis. And that it's completely based on the grace that you have given us unconditionally. We know that we are a work in progress. And that you see us just as you see your son as a perfect, sinless man. Help us to boast and exalt your name regardless of our circumstances. And regardless of feeling lowly, because the one, the only one, true identity that matters is our identity in Christ. We love you, Jesus. In your holy, precious name, we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. If you are in need of prayer, we want to be there for you. We want to uh, talk with you. The connect table is also available for you to meet with our pastors or to set up an appointment during the week uh, to talk, to talk about God, to talk about your relationship with God. And we want to be there to provide that for you. If your heart was changed this morning, we want to invite you to be in the word and to progress in your relationship with him. And we want to give you the resources to be able to do that. We want to be able to give you a Bible and give you the guidance that is needed to develop that relationship. It's truly been an honor and a joy to share with you this morning the word coming from the book of James. It's encouraging and it's uplifting and I hope you have a great week. We're now going to go into a time of worshiping the Lord with our tithes and offerings. We'll have some leaders come forward with our offering baskets shortly, but you can give to the work of the gospel through Shorebreak if this is your home church by writing a check to Shorebreak Church uh, or giving cash in in the offering basket, or we have a kiosk in the back that you'll see on your way out. We also have online giving. Uh, that is secure on our website. So feel free to uh, visit us there. But let's make much of him. Let's honor him with our first fruits this morning. Uh, Thank you. Aloha. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, Send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.